You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Rob Hollis is here with me. Uh, Michael Rosenbaum is here with me. Michael Rosenbaum is here with me. A lot of cool stuff to talk about, Rob, before we get into this uh, great interview, because this is, I thought it was pretty fascinating. Well, I didn't. You do, you're right. Well, first of all, I want to say thanks to all the fans for, uh, you know, when you guys are following the show, please subscribe. Please uh, write a review. It really helps the show. Podcasts are free, and we're trying to keep them that way, and we love what we're doing. But We're um, trying to make it so Michael doesn't have to go sign up for a movie he doesn't want to do. Well, I would just like to do this. To tell you the truth, if I get more people listening to this podcast, this is therapy for me. I know it's therapy for a lot of people out there, and I and I love you for listening. So we're just trying to grow the audience. So tell your friend, tell your mom, if you sit down with your family at dinner, just have everybody grab their phone, subscribe to the podcast, write a review, and this thing's going to start blowing up, and then we'll do more and more interviews. We'll get bigger and better guests. I don't know if that's possible because the guests are pretty amazing, like the one today. But thank you for uh, all the kind support. Uh, throw out to Fat Scooters who... Uh, just brought me the most dopest little fat. Just check their fat scooters out. You got to get one. I'm going to get you guys a code, hopefully, to get a discount on these things, but they're incredible. Our guest today, uh, Rob, did you know a lot about John Cryer? No. I mean, I I knew he was on Two and a Half Men. That's which good. I did not watch that show, but my brother and dad watched. He was in Pretty in Pink. Yep. He's done a lot of shows. He's in Ryan Hansen Solves Crimes. Yep. I love Ryan Hansen. Got to throw out Ryan Hansen. Mm-hmm. Uh, He's been through a lot in terms of like you know shows that didn't last, and I and I can uh, he's also been on a show that lasted. I can relate, but he waited and waited and persevered, and then got two and a half men. What's great is he's so candid and open about talking about Charlie Sheen and the shit that took place, which I didn't. I you know I was just going to talk about Lex Luthor and him um, appearing on Supergirl as Lex Luthor, which is pretty freaking cool. So it was Lex Luthor interviewing Lex Luthor, but then he started opening up about Charlie Sheen and the and the. and his experience, and it wasn't like I think you know. The, no matter what he says, he's so genuine that it comes off like he just is a guy that wants to work and enjoy life and enjoy people around him. And uh, there was some you guys know the deal uh, with what happened, um, and the whole show kind of fell apart. And with Ashton coming back on, so he'll tell that story, and he's he's very open. I didn't expect him to to get as open as he was, and. He talks about uh, being in drag, which I've been in drag many times, as you know. You're in drag right now. Yeah. And, of course, we talk about Lex Luthor and the... Uh, Who up was Lex Luthor? Lex Luthor was a supervillain, one of the... Probably the best supervillains in fantasy or... Oh, you know, that Gene Hackman one. Uh, he was my favorite, yeah. He, I think he's... The like, quintessential. That's it. Yeah. No one should have done is? it. No one Who should have think? done it after him. <laughs> I think nobody should have done it after him until a certain person came along. Um... Oh, uh, Jesse, Jesse Eisenberg. Eisenberg. <laughs> yeah. uh, you'll enjoy this interview. We talk about Lex Luthor. We talk about Supergirl. We talk about expectations. We talk about how hard it is to do a new role when people are expecting so much and how he takes it in stride. And uh, just a great guy. We talk about how he showed up a, uh, a week early to the podcast. Uh, let's let's get... not give it all away. Let's, let's get to this interview. Let's get inside of John Cryer. It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You. Michael Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. It's, hey, I saw that episode. You did, John Cryer. Was... You're looking at an episode from, it was an episode of Smallville called Onyx, where I wore that mask, right? I think. Yes. That, it was the one where you split into two Lexes. Yeah. Yeah. Why did you watch Lex. that? 
Well, because I, I used to see the show. Right. Uh, you know, I wasn't, I mean, I didn't see every episode. Sure. But, uh, um, I watched every episode of Two and a Half Man, you fuck. <laughs> <laughs> it got ugly very quickly yeah. here, folks. Um, uh, no, uh, uh, I, I remember that episode partially because, uh, you know, obviously I'm playing Lex Luthor on Supergirl. Yes, you um, are. First of all, uh, what was great about the the Lex as presented by Smallville was he was a very nuanced character. He was very, uh, you know, is a little bit of a departure from the comics. Uh, you know, I guess it would be closest to the Superboy Lex Luthor. Uh, In terms of like, you see his journey. Yes, to become evil as you see. Yeah. young Clark Kent becoming, you know, Superman. Yes, exactly. So it's, you sound like you you knew your comic books like before you got this role. Uh, yes, uh, to to a certain extent. Not uh, obviously. Uh, I've delved into Luther a little more uh, recently. Recently, yeah. <laughs> and then I. Uh, and you've uh, got a great head. Thank you. Like you've got a really wonderful shaped dome. Uh, <laughs> is it called a, a pate? Is that what it, it is? is called? A pate. A pate. Yes. Uh, uh, and my, the, my wife is a very big fan of it as well. And actually, when oh. I when I was first approached about it, uh, when the producers called me. Uh, I was first of all. I, I thought, why me? I wouldn't be the first person I would choose to. Play wait, wait, wait! Part. They came to you first. Yes, and it was a weird, circuitous thing. Actually, uh, first I got an email from Bill Prady, who is one of the producers of Big Bang Theory. Right. Um, who said, "Want to let you know, I've been hearing through the grapevine that uh, you're about to get asked to play a character that rhymes with." Schmex Schmuthor. <laughs> and I was like, what on earth is he talking about? You didn't believe it. I did not believe it. Uh, then I got a text from a, an old friend of mine from summer camp who said, one of the producers of Supergirl is looking to talk to you. What? Uh, and I, why are, you know, I was like, this is a very uh, unconventional approach. <laughs> you know, they find my old friends from, from summer camp. He said, hey, can I give her your number? I said, Sure. Um, and then Jessica Queller, who's one of the executive producers on the thing, said, uh, I just happen to know some of your old friends from summer camp. Uh, <laughs> I swear to God. And would you be interested in in being Lex Luthor on the show? Because DC is only letting us uh, have him for three episodes. So we're trying to make it into a big deal. You know, what's funny is, is, you know, online people are like, are you going to play Lex Luthor on Supergirl? Are you gonna? No one ever asked me to, to do any of this. No uh -huh. one ever. So people are still like, why aren't you doing this? I'm like, well, no one asked me. Yeah, there's, there's that big John hole in the plan. And, you know, <laughs> by the way, first of all, uh, Something funny happened that I got to tell you folks out there. Last week, I was sitting at my computer wearing probably the sweat, same sweatpants as I am today. I like They're to be comfortable. Thank you. Way. Thank you. Um, and I see at the door on my, my you know, the cameras, the security cameras, that there's a, uh, you know, a bald man at the door. And I think, oh, it's probably a delivery. Could be anything. So or I kept stalker. writing. Stalker. And all of a sudden... Uh, a good-looking bald man comes up and walks into the office with my assistant, Jess. And I look at him and I go, oh, shit, that's John Cryer. And he's a week early. <laughs> and I, okay. The, 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 you know, the, timelines have never been my strong suit. Hey, man. So, uh, uh, so yeah. No, uh, no you, you said, hey, let's get together on Tuesday. And uh, but you did specifically in the email say exactly which Tuesday you wanted us to get together. But my mind only listened to the oh Tuesday, which yeah. I just assumed was the next Tuesday, but it wasn't the next. So Tuesday. I, you know, what's funny is I am always wrong. Rob, you can attest to that. 
He's over there. He's on the microphone. But um, yes. I, I get things wrong. My mind is all over the place. So I need people to just be very understanding with me because I don't mean to. But I'm like, well, what's this? I'm like, did you read your email? I'm like, not all of it. That's kind of me. I'm a scatterbrain. And so I, I need people who are patient go, dude. This is the, but you, you were, it was so funny. You're so kind. We walked around the house. We talked for a bit and it was like, uh, I don't know. I, I thought it was just, it was endearing. It was sweet. It was like, I felt bad because I was like, you're not going to come back next week now, huh? Yeah. You're busy. <laughs> you no don't have time for me. That I'm coming back. Uh, no, you know, this is, this is not a, a sa- sadly, this is not uh, atypical for me. Uh, uh, I, uh, I, I love having a lot of things going on, but I'm actually not good at keeping track of them. You showed up to uh, the set a week early for lecture sure. third. Yes, like, exactly. I'm ready, guys. Ready, guys. Well, let's, we're not ready for you. Let's start shooting this. Right. Uh, no, that did not occur. Uh, thankfully, I have to always have a bunch of things going at once, or I just feel uh, bereft. I feel uh, lost uh, as a well, performer. Explain that to me. Do you do you feel like if you really don't have a lot going on, do you get depressed? It it, it takes a while to sneak up on me, but I would say that 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 comes into play um, because you just feel uh, you feel irrelevant. You know, if you don't feel like you're applying irrelevant to whom. To uh, who, whoever you're trying to reach. I mean, we, you know, who, who do you who do you perform for? Well, when I say that, I just think, you know, the whole my whole goal now is to try and not think of it like irrelevance mm-hmm. as much as it is it's like I'm doing things for me and what I want to do and whether it is relevant to other people and. You know, I'm I'm sort of figuring that out now. Maybe it's a midlife crisis. I, I it could about. be that. I, 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 it might be. Just get a nicer car. You'll be fine. But uh. <laughs> but you know, I do notice. Like I just uh, I went and did my buddy Dax's live podcast in San Antonio, which Rob also produces that show, right, Rob? Yep. <laughs> which is fantastic, by the way. Yeah. That show is he he's he is a magnificent host. He's great, and we had a, it was like 2,500 people, and. Um, at the Majestic Theater, it was me, Monica, and Dax, and we just sat there, and for two hours, it was just this energy. And afterwards, I was like, oh, I want to keep doing things like this. I want. So when I do things, I feel more energetic. I feel more relevant. Mm-hmm. And when I don't, I sort of – I do slip into little bouts of anxiety. Funk. funk. Do you get anxiety? Oh, yes. Terrible anxiety. Still get terrible performance anxiety. I do, too. Which is crazy. Why? People, I don't, there's no reason, especially when I used to do Two and a Half Men, which... Live studio audience. Yes. Live studio audience, which is a little nerve-wracking. For 10 years? It's, it's, uh, 12 years. 12 years. Uh, 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 he said, uh, that's a humble brag, <laughs> only, only 12. 12! Uh, 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 <laughs> but um, longest-running multi-camera sitcom in the history of broadcast television. But anyway. But anyway. Uh, uh, no, and it, it actually is no longer. Uh, uh, Big Bang Theory just passed it probably last week. Um, wow. But anyway, neither here nor there. I'm not angry. I liked uh, it better. I like Two and a Half Men better than Big Thank Man. you. Uh, but but no, I. Well, I, performance I, anxiety. Go ahead. I but but it was it's ridiculous because in multi camera comedy you can screw up in front of the audience and the audience loves it yeah they could not care less they have a great time mm-hmm. no matter what they're here to have a sp- they don't want you to do the show exactly as planned no, it's boring. you know exactly they want to be at in hollywood and see how the 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 sausage is made you know see all the ugliness yeah. see the, <laughs> the the disgusting underbelly uh and so that should have been an area in which there was no where i was absolutely free and just enjoying myself and performing the comedy I love with writing that I loved, by the way, the wonderful writing on that show. Terrific. Uh, but you uh, got nervous. But but no, every Friday, a basket case. Every Friday. Isn't that something? Why? 
Why, John? The, you and I Why? have the same problem because this is what I don't understand. I, I tell people this. I go and do stand up, and uh, if I kill it, if I do really well, um, but then I wake up and the whole next day is uh, stressed out, freaking out about the next night that I'm going to do it, uh-huh. and it's like, well, it, it doesn't make sense if you did w- well at something. What's the psychology? There's got to be a psychologist out there. Please, if you if you can help me, help John. We should be like more confident with what we're doing. We killed it. There's no reason for the next Friday in a 12-year show, you're doing all these episodes. You should have eventually just been so comfortable by the 50th Friday. Absolutely. And you weren't. And I was not. And I was not. Usually for me, it was because there was bits I really wanted to do really well. So I would be overthinking it and thinking, okay, how am I going to, you know, do this? But for me also, I couldn't tell if the anxiety informed the character in a good way. Wow. Um, because I always, I, I always play anxious characters. I mean, that was one of the things that's fun about Lex is that... Uh, he's not anxious. He's not anxious. Which probably um, gave you anxiety. <laughs> no, I had, uh, I had a blast. I felt, uh, I felt honestly more comfortable and confident playing Lex than than anything I've done. All right, we're going to talk about that, but I'm going to save that so people just keep listening in here. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Because we're going to talk about the episode and your experience at the end, because I definitely want to talk about that. But I think it probably stems from childhood, right? Were were you always sort of a, were you a nervous kid? Were you, did you get anxiety? Oh, yes. Were you picked on? Um, I was picked on a a, a bit, you know, I, I wasn't like a, I was a little chunky, uh, you know, I wasn't. You were chunky. Yeah, I wasn't. I I recall a couple of instances of bullying, but nothing terrible. You know, nothing, uh, uh, nothing like that. A lot of people, a lot of people experience much worse than I, and so. But I, I never felt confident. I never felt uh, worthy. At, 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 yeah, I never felt uh, like at, at home in my own skin. Uh, growing up, I don't know why. Did your dad tell you he loved you? Uh, yes, he did. Um, my parents were divorced, so I, I could go and blame it on that, perhaps. Sure. How old? Uh, how old were you when that happened? Uh, I was four. Four. Uh, and I and I was vaguely, I was only vaguely aware of a, a lot of it. But um, uh, but that being said, who knows? Uh, you know, I, I think it's just part of my being. I persona think it, because so many times in my life I revert to that, even when the external triggers aren't there. You know, I think it's just me. Is it? Is there a feeling of, I mean, there's probably, there's different versions of anxiety. Is it like, I'm not good enough? I've got to prove myself? Or is it just something innate? There's something that's just part of you that... It's just something innate. Usually what I will do is I'll fixate on an external problem that needs to be solved somehow. Like what? Or like my co-star is uh, 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 having a mental breakdown on the internet uh, <laughs> and well, that's uh, only and happened on one show. show yes, Granted, exactly. it lasted twelve years. Robert, you're gonna say- <laughs> it was Ashton Kutcher, right? Yes, it was Ashton Absolutely. Kutcher. You called it. Yeah, Sorry, Ashton. Break. Sorry, I gotta, I gotta out you, Ashton. Right. Uh, but uh, no, but my point being, like some, I, I, you know, I would go through some drama, and I would fixate on the external aspect of that. Um, but then, when it was solved in some way, I would just move on to another one. Another problem. Yes. Another issue. That for some reason, you know, I needed to worry about. And then I, and, and so I've looked at it and said, you know what? Maybe I just need to worry. There's just this, this part of me that needs to be hyper aware of my surroundings. Boy. And, and always trying to figure out how am I going to get screwed. I mean, if you're embracing that, if you're embracing that, maybe that's a real healthy thing to do. It's like, hey, I'm neurotic. I'm a neurotic Jew. I freak <laughs> out about everything. If I just embrace this. 
and just let everything go and know that this is how my then when anxiety comes, it's just anxiety. It's just part of me. It, it, it may be that's it. I don't have the benefit of being Jewish, so I don't have that that, <laughs> that cultural information. Crier? Right. Uh, Crier is what? What is Crier? Crier is probably Welsh. Welsh. Um, uh, I, am, I, I, I recently uh, did that whole uh, ancestry thing, and they actually uh, – I did a show called Who Do You Think You Are? where they, they give you a book that is this incredibly yeah, encyclopedic – Yeah, you that with other celebrities, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's an incredibly encyclopedic look into your ancestry, and I am Scottish as fuck. I am so Scottish, it's crazy. Really? Um, and I did not know that. I assumed that I was from, you know, generally Great Britain and that area, but but it's super duper whoo Scottish. I could see it. If you grew a bigger beard and I started <laughs> talking like this, this yes. you could fucking yes, do it. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know don't have you know the, the the classic red hair or i'm not comfortable in kilts have you uh, put on a kilt before i have not uh, so, i have i have okay how did you feel we've got one we do, we've got one on. do i have a well, kilt? i think i do have a kilt. Okay, kilt let's get it i no. i if it's if it's your kilt the, yeah. that just feels wrong and i free ball you don't, <laughs> see you I, don't want any part of that that's the whole point of yeah. a kilt my that's my understanding yeah they breathe you could just breathe yeah you're wearing a skirt but your balls are hanging out there fresh yes hello ladies so you you got along with your mom you got along with your dad they were split up but they did they get along or they they did uh and they the the hardest thing was my dad uh was a performer was an actor he remains an actor even at 80 plus years old uh still auditions for stuff um and he uh uh he moved to california that was the hardest thing when i was he, he moved when i was about six years old so and i grew up in new york city so that was the hardest thing was that he got he he remarried and moved away um, because, you know, that was sort of the next phase of his career was trying to make his way in the movie business. Right. Uh, and how old were you? I was six. And and that happened till I was about 15. You then, then he moved yeah. back to New York. OK, because in those years, 15. though, you feel abandoned no matter what. Yeah. Uh, and what had happened at one point, you know, my, when my dad had moved out. Uh, you know, obviously there was the abandonment issues and all that stuff. Um, but then at one point he tried to move back in. But at that point, my mom was done. Uh, and my mom said, no, thanks. Wait, you so know? He, was, he was like, oh, like, I want to get this, make this work. Yeah. And, wow. and my mom no longer Shut him did. Down. Yeah. And, uh, and I totally get it. Um, they've remained on good terms, but you know what? They should never have been. Does married, he still want to go frankly. there? Does he still try to creep in every once in a while? No, no. He's he's remarried. I love my stepmom. Well, the crazy thing is, my mom and my stepmother are great friends. What? Who are you? <laughs> I know. <laughs> my mother and father hate each other. Oh they no! They haven't I'm talked sorry. in fifteen years. My mom just hates. I mean, oh, do you don't understand? My mom and my sister don't talk. My mom and my brother don't talk. Mm-hmm. My mom and my dad don't talk. We barely talk. It's a most dysfunctional. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, yeah. It's, but you're talking about two people that get divorced and now their their partners are all friends and they talk and they. Oh, yeah. You How lucky oh, oh. and weird is that? My half brothers and sisters, my, my stepmother's children with my dad used to live in my mom's house occasionally. Come I, on. I swear to God. What it was was my mom and my dad um, loved each other. We're great friends. They came from small towns in the Midwest. 
to the big city. We're in the Midwest. To, uh, my dad from Ohio, my mom from Indiana. Uh, I'm from Indiana. I grew up in Indiana. Oh, oh, well, there you go. Okay. Uh, I used to go for my summers there with my grandparents all the time nice. in, uh, uh, in uh, Dunreath, Indiana, which I don't is know that one. yeah, it's tiny. There's <laughs> eight people in Dunreath. There's a filling station, and and that's uh, all you need. That's it. That's all you need. They loved each other absolutely, but the reason they got married was because everybody was just saying, "Hey, when are you two getting married?" <laughs> you know, yeah. they probably should never have been married. And, uh, you know, my dad wanted to be a performer and be, you know, well, actually, actually he started as a minister. She thought she was going to be a minister's wife. Wow. And then he realized, no, I'm, I'm Was she actor. his first? Uh, uh, yeah, I believe so. Wow. I believe so. So, you know, he basically wasn't made for that relationship. And, and, uh, and so when they, when they split up, he fell in love with my stepmother but felt bad about leaving the kids, you know, and at one point tried to move back in or hoped to move back in. And my mom said, no, you know what? We're better separate. You know, this was, by the way, blockbuster information to me because all of a sudden I understood why my stepmother wanted to move to California in addition to the career thing was, you know, you've got a guy who who still wants to move back in with his kids, you know, uh, uh, so it's really a, 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 a very eye opener. Yeah, it was a big eye opener. And all of a sudden I understood the motivations of everybody involved. Right. Um, Don't and- you wish that, you know, like Sandler would have done in Wedding Singer information I could have used yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Well, no, you know what? I, I understand why. Parents don't fill their kids in on every aspect of of why they're getting divorced. Uh, you know, there's some stuff the kids <laughs> can't process. My parents didn't need to tell me anything. <laughs> I, I was pretty much aware when my uh, dad. Okay. Oh boy, I got some stories. <laughs> uh, oh, so, man. so you got them contemporaneously. You 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 were aware as this stuff was going. I down. just was like, what is going on? There's so much passive aggression. There's so much like, just you could feel the the energy, and the it was tension. just like the. Yeah, it was one of those things where my mom always needed attention. You know, she was always like, am I pretty? Am I pretty? My dad's like, yes, you're beautiful. You're beautiful. And eventually God, yeah, you're so pretty. Everybody thinks you're so, oh my God, boys, isn't your mother just pretty? Gosh. And, okay. it, and it got ugly and I was, we were around it, you know, but my, they were also like weird. They were just like, you know, they, they well, look, you got to respect. They told it how it was, but you know, they'd be like, Michael, how are you this stupid? How could you? How <laughs> wow. could you not figure okay. these math problems out? How could you? It was how a old very. You when it, it, oh, very. It was very dark. I was very young. I was probably eight or nine years old. Oh god! I don't know. But that's yeah. when you're totally sentient through the whole thing because you really get some of the sophisticated stuff. Uh, uh, I mean, oh, I don't know. But I, look, I, sorry, man. It was just a weird thing. I was colorblind and I didn't know it. So I uh-huh. again, I just thought I was really dumb. I went to get tennis strings at my uh, at the Gus Derner Sports in Evansville, Indiana, at the mall. My dad goes, "What strings do you want?" I go, "Those yellow ones." He goes, "What strings do you want?" I go, "The yellow ones." He goes, "Those are green." What the hell's wrong with you? I'm colorblind, I'm, Dad. I didn't know that. <laughs> but anyway, it was like it was, and I'm I'm forgiving, and I you know I talk about stuff, but like you pretty much had a good childhood. Your parents, I mean, this is I've never heard of anything like this where now everybody's so close and. Rob, you're gonna say something. Yeah. Did you resent your dad when you thought he left and didn't try to come back? And then um, did that kind of change things? No, I didn't. Uh, I didn't at the time. Uh, the crazy thing was that divorce was still fairly uncommon uh, back in those days, 
And I got this just overwhelming amount of sympathy from my friends and my schoolmates. So at the time, I didn't think being a child of divorce was a terrible thing. Wow. Because suddenly it defined who I was as that strong kid who went through the divorce, you know, uh, and yeah. you survived, man. And so I, to me, it was like it made me special, which was ridiculous. But at the time, I don't recall feeling horrible about it. Also, by the way, my mom flourished as a single woman. She became a playwright and had a great circle of friends. And our house was just this happy place full of music. Uh, and so your you dad know, was holding her back. Well, I don't, I don't know. I, you know, I don't, they were only together till I was four. Yeah, so I have no yeah. idea what it was like before right. then. I didn't perceive it as, you know, we stayed in the same apartment. We went through some financial difficulties, but it seemed like, you know, this was the 70s in New York and everybody was going through financial difficulties at the time. Yeah. So it didn't feel like we were the only ones. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know how many times I have to talk about this, but it's so important. If you're sitting there right now and you're stressed or you're anxious or you have a lot on your mind and you just bottle it up and you don't know what to do, it's going to come out. And it's not going to come out in great ways all the time. Um, BetterHelp has helped me substantially. Ryan here has been using it for a while. And, I, you know, don't you notice when you don't use BetterHelp, when you don't have therapy? Oh, the weeks where I miss a session? Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's like the more you talk about something, even if you don't think you have anything to talk about, things come up and it puts your mind at ease. And we all carry around different stressors, you know, big and small and at times, we keep carrying them around rather than processing them and letting them go. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy from BetterHelp is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for all of us. If you're thinking of starting therapy... Give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I think people think, oh, what if I don't like my therapist? If you don't, you switch them. It's that easy. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com inside today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash inside inside of you is brought to you by rocket money i love rocket money you know why because everyone should have rocket money because it just helps you save money how many times do we have subscriptions that we don't even know we have anymore and we're paying so much money just throwing away money ryan i i found one you and you did it you told I me found, i got rocket money okay i found one it i'm embarrassed to say how long it's been going on but thank you for finding it <laughs> my god it was embarrassing <laughs> yeah because it's like you want to watch some show and you go oh, i have to subscribe to this uh this streaming uh, whatever mm -hmm. and you you start streaming the show you watch it you leave and you forget after this trial period it kicks in and it's they're charging terrible. you 10 bucks a month it's, it is embarrassing Ugh. you know 75 percent of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about before i started using rocket money i thought i had you know, like, oh, I have like five subscriptions. I could not believe it when they showed me I was paying for like four extra uh, between, you know, streaming advices and fitness apps, delivery services. It's never ending. And thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. 
Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with the customer service for you. I don't like that. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash inside. That's rocketmoney.com slash inside. Rocketmoney.com slash inside. It's pretty obvious why you became an actor. With your dad as an actor, your mom, playwright. You were around it. You just, there's no other choice. I always loved it. I recall going to the Fantastics, which was an off-Broadway show. One of the longest running shows ever. My dad was actually in it when I was born. Uh, Is he a great singer? He is. He is an amazing singer. Uh, My mom is too. Are you a good singer? I am not. Well, okay. There's a story there too. Uh, uh, Crazy thing. All through my youth, I was always never, I was never a very good singer. Because I couldn't breathe through my nose through all of my youth, uh, and and I could never understand why everybody was resonating in their you know there's this whole, whole uh, you know you go to voice classes and they're always like you know breathe through your mask the the idea being that you breathe through your your nose and all the stuff there and I could never do that um, so my singing was always very hampered and not very good so I just was like you know what I'm just a I'm a straight actor that's what I do I don't do I don't I do straight plays but you can um, sing a little did you ever learn finally how to well the crazy thing was probably 10 or 12 years ago uh i went to a doctor who did an mri just of my sinuses deviated septum uh deviated well no nasal polyps that totally filled up my sinuses so there was no there was no room in there for me to breathe so he gave me this steroid this corticosteroid and suddenly i could breathe through my nose and i could sing at the age of like 40, Wait, 48 or something, or 45, and What do you 46. like singing? What do you, what do you sing? I, I'm a show tune guy. You well, are a show I, tune? I, I'm, I, will, I started a show tune, I started as a show tune kid and I always loved musicals, just couldn't really sing. Uh, and so suddenly I could sing, but, but it, there's tragedy ensues because then probably four or five years later, I develop a stomach problem where I've got acidy uh, uh, reflux. reflux all the right, time, yeah. and it fries your vocal cords. And so I can sing now on days when my vocal cards aren't aren't fried. So like doing actual musical theater. Does is your wife catch you like singing? Like what would you do? You, do you sing any like seventies love songs or like <laughs> e- the Eagles or uh, who doesn't sing the Eagles? Don't you sing a little Chicago? Uh, uh, no, I'm generally a, when I want to mortify my wife, it's generally show uh, tunes. As show tunes. Like what? Like what's works. a show tune? Like uh, you know, company. Yeah, you could drive a person crazy. You could drive a person mad. Doo, 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 doo. I mean, it's the you know n- nothing yeah. masculine, but that is a song right. sung by three women. Listen, I love musicals. <laughs> I love musicals. I love Barbara Streisand, and I read something where you and I have something in common. Where some people assumed we were gay. Yes. Some people yes. thought Rosenbaum's gay. Uh huh. Gay, he's gay, too, gay as a French horn. That yeah, Rosenbaum. he's too comfortable with, with <laughs> his. You know, there's something. So I, w- I, I, I think people assumed. In fact, my mother asked me once. She said, "I came home from college because I was doing theater." Mm-hmm. <laughs> theater, theater. Is that what Dax says? Theater. Yep. With the British spelling, with yes. an R E. Theater. <laughs> and um, she goes, Michael. It's okay. I have many friends that are, 
you can tell me I'm very, this is a very liberal family. Mm-hmm. Um, are you gay? And it was the best acting I've ever done. I go, yeah. <laughs> and I let it go for about a week. And to this day, she was so much. She's like, well, why didn't you just tell me? Why would you? She told the whole city. <laughs> so I would still to this day, I think I come home and like Lucy or Peggy or Diane, her mm-hmm. friends, they'll give me that look like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, you have a girlfriend, do you? It's called a beard. You know what I mean? But you <laughs> they experience know all that. about the gay subculture. They watch Will and Grace. Yeah, right. <laughs> they know it all. But people th- thought you were gay. Somehow. Oh, yes. Yeah. Because I also I never felt comfortable being masculine. That always felt other to me. Uh, was your father masculine? Yeah. Yeah, he was. Um, but again, he was mostly out of the house when I was f- four. Right. You know? But even so, I think that was me. I think that, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, even if I had seen him sort of model it and I decided that was what I wanted to do, it would always be me modeling it. Uh, uh, it wasn't authentic. It wasn't authentically right. me. So I, so people thought I was gay for the longest time and, you know, and did it bother you? No. I mean, it bothered me in that I, I was a little, I would say I was a little, uh, uh, ashamed that I wasn't a, a, a masculine kid that I wasn't good at sports and I wasn't, you know, uh, and by the way, not that that's necessarily masculine, but, right. uh, but the, 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 the stereotypical things that Ster- people think right. about masculinity, I, I, I was, didn't have a particularly commanding presence. I wasn't, uh, you know, assertive in the way that you're They're supposed to be. just who you were. It just wasn't people who I like am. to say things. They like to judge. They like to, no matter if you are yeah. gay, you're not gay. Oh, Rosenbaum. I remember people saying, you know, back in the, I don't know if you experienced this, but when I was in high school, Rob, I don't know if you did, because you're a lot younger than me. What are you, 29 with two kids, this guy already? Jeez, with two. One kid and I'm 30. Yeah. No, I, I can't believe I fucked he's that He's a Mormon. Up. He has eight children. I mean, he's, he's going on his mission right after this. You're coming up with a whole alternate history. Oh my God. I've been working with Rob for a year and a half. I don't know anything about him. But um, Rob is a Jesuit priest. Interestingly, but interesting backstory Rob has. Uh, <laughs> tell, tell him your story. He does. No, you ever, I'm not did, a did Jesuit. Ever, I don't know what you're talking about, Did Michael. anyone think you were gay, Rob? Ever? No. No? Never? Maybe they just didn't say it. Yeah. I mean, no, not right. I didn't, I didn't get that. No. I was just always shocked. Like, really? You think I'm gay? My um, wardrobe guy on Smallville, Steve, used to go, Michael, you're like a half a bottle of tequila away from being gay. <laughs> but let's be serious here. You listen to Barbara musicals. Mm-hmm. I mean, we would sing all day. Yeah. We'd sing musicals together. And he's like, are you sure? I'm like, no. I mean, I would tell you. If I was gay, I would go around... S and D's, man. I, I mean, like I love, I love women. So mm-hmm. if I love men, I you would, would not be, hold back. I'd yeah. be like, I love D's. I, I mm-hmm. that's it's just who I thing. am. Uh-huh. And I know it's very difficult. I, you know, I had Fortune Feimster, you know her, sure. Um, you know, and we talked about you know growing up and being gay and like how hard that is. You know, it was just like she never would tell anyone. Told, and she was in her like twenties. I just can't imagine having that sort of, you know, and I grew up in Indiana being a Jew. I mean, people thought it was hard, but it wasn't that bad. But I remember there was a couple of uh, gay people in our school, and I remember wanting to be friends with them because I could tell that they were treated a little differently. They were kind of loners in a way. I mean, this is this was the eighties, you know, yeah, oh, mid eighties. Yeah. So it was like, well, yeah, I had a very different experience because I went to a theater camp in upstate New York for my summers. That was 
the first place where being gay was not a subculture there. It was the culture. Right. You know, there was a lot of, of uh, gay guys. So that was fascinating because I went from, you know, New York City schools, which were there were definitely gay kids to a place where there was it, there was a whole gay culture. And if you're in the theater world, that's just it, that's, that's just a huge part, that's of, this, part of the of culture. Exactly. So I feel kind of mm-hmm. lucky that don't you feel sort of lucky that you got to experience that? Because oh, yeah. being in the theater community, it's just it's so diverse. And it was almost like it was this little subculture, this little world where everybody could sort of be themselves, at least at least most of themselves yeah. or some of themselves. And that was kind of cool to be around that. And I experienced that a lot in college. And that I think I grew up a lot mm-hmm. knowing that, hey, the, the, this is how things work. This is the real world. Yeah. Well, also that summer camp was great because a lot of kids went there whose parents just didn't know what to do with them. Uh, so there was a lot of kids who would bloom, uh, you know, and that was really remarkable, you know, because kids are mean. Kids are clicky and mean and say mean things and stuff like that. And there would be kids that everybody would sort of write off. Suddenly they would you know, bloom as performers and you'd be like, whoa, who is that person? (laughs) You know, Uh, uh, they would find who they were, which was amazing. And so I sort of came into my own as an effeminate heterosexual dork um, because I was there with a lot of women, the girls, you know, obviously I was, you know, 12. I went there from the time I was, I think, 13 through the time I was 17, you know, with with a lot of, of girls my age. Uh, who I was, you know, infatuated with because there was just these amazing. But they didn't want any there. part of you. No, they did. They no. See, I they absolutely it. did. They, I knew they, it. I knew it because you're yeah. charming as shit. You're sweet as hell. That was a place where the fact that I was effeminate did not hurt at all. They totally got that. That's just who I was. You know, didn't work at at uh, my regular junior high and high right. school. And I was fine with that. But it was interesting. It was because I, I realized, uh, you know, that that's just me. Uh, and I could try to be, you know, I, I could butch it up, <laughs> as right. they say, um, or I could just be me. Right. Uh, uh, you know, and that's one of the great things about being an actor, too, is you just get to be different people yeah. uh, all the time. Well, and, people are always mm-hmm. saying, well, you were gay in Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. You were trans in Sweet November. You were in Drag and Sorority Boys. Or is there something, something you want to tell us? <laughs> yes, like, I, I, I feel really comfortable pattern. in a dress. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm mm-hmm. so comfortable in a dress. I'm not. Are you not? No. Why is that? Um, I, 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 I mostly. Uh, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. Uh, just because it always feels like there's just not enough clothes on me. Really? You're uh, a private guy. Uh, yeah. You don't like to be your yeah. shirt off. You don't like your pants off unless yeah. it's with your wife. It, it's fun to adopt it as a character. You could do that you as know, a character. You as a take... character, I could absolutely. I mean, I've done it. I did it. Uh, there, there was a. They made a a female persona for alan on two and a half men on one of the last episodes we shot with sheen as a matter of fact where they made me up in full you know and i was adorable if i'm just gonna put that out there uh what was it what was your legs what was good about it uh i i i had a look i had a very sunny disposition as as a as a woman i look a little bit like uh jennifer love hewitt I, wait, what? I have a picture on my phone. Let me see I have it. a picture of, on my phone. I might have to post I, that. Um, no, I'm not. Oh, wait. Why, why not post it? Yeah, what it was on the air. It was on the freaking Jeez. air. At one point, I was uh, – they, they had a scene in Two and a Half Men where I was tied up in lingerie. I was wearing lingerie and tied to a bed. It was an episode with Alice and Janney. And my wife came over and took a picture of me all tied up to the bed, just mm. giggling the whole time. And I said, don't put that on the internet. And then I was like – 
why not? It's in the freaking show. Yeah, 10 I, million a, people are you watching know, you. Exactly. Or, Nobody. Go ahead, correct me. You're like, uh-uh, 20. Uh-uh. Yes. <laughs> what were you going to say, you fuck? 20 million. We used to do like 16 million. 16. That was our. I've never been weekly. on a show that got 16 million ever. Um, never, never been on a show like that. And that's no, fine. it's you want, fine. You want, some fine. Want some blueberries? Uh, no, I'm John? good. Now I'm going okay. to. I'm just going to idly go through all my my pictures here. There's a photo. You can't even see it in a podcast. So what? Yeah, but I could see it, and then I could you know you could relay it to I them could, and could, say exactly, it's true. It. He looks like you know. Email me that picture. You and I also have something in common in that we both. Uh, we're replacements in a lot of things in our life, and we've also had a lot of things canceled. Yes, you know, and I yes. think that that creates, you know, there's a there's a something humble about that. It makes you like, you know, I think it's frustrating, and then you get to a point where you're just like, you know what, things happen, and you've had a lot of success. So, you know, if that was all you were, was like one failure after another. another if we yes. didn't have any failure. I think it would be wouldn't be as good. It makes me so grateful for the times when it's good, and you know, you have a job next week. And boy, I I treasure that. Stuff. They fired Jeremy Renner and hired really? and hired me. They fired For Simon Rex. It was a pilot called Zoe Duncan Jack and Jack Jane. and the Yes Selma Blair. Yeah, and I was Jack. Oh my and she god! Was Jane and oh my god! I Zoe, remember that show. Yes. That was a funny show. It was funny. It was short lived, but uh, you know. But that happened a lot of times where people say, "Hey, so and so can't do it. Will you do it? Someone so's fired. Can we'll get Michael yes. Rosenbaum?" I was never the guy who got the part. I was the guy who took over. Uh huh. Which is fine. Which is fine. Still no, it paid. doesn't matter. You still you're 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 still the one who gets on the air. Well, no one knows who Jeremy Renner is now. Either. Exactly. Yeah, right. That's the great thing. He Oscar is nominee. Has he won an Oscar? I don't know. No, uh, Hurt he Locker hasn't. maybe. He might have been nominated for Hurt Locker. I think he but, might have been. Um, but but I don't did think you he ever won. go through with all these, like when you had failed shows and things that didn't work and you, you got. Did Boom. You, you got, let me see this. Okay, the, I just found the photo. Wow. Oh okay. my God. See, I'm adorable. I'm adorable. I swear to God, I'm not even kidding around. I would fuck you. Yeah, thanks. Look at this. This is not where I thought this podcast was going. You're today. really I'm just going to say that. Look Michael at your Rosenbaum. short hair and your little when, smile. When you invited me on Inside of You, this was not where I expected this was going. And perhaps that's my fault. It, For, it the show be. is called Inside of I You. I want to get inside John Cryer. You know, you are adorable. You send that to me so I can. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Didn't you think he was attractive? Mm hmm. <laughs> Thank you, Rob. Rob, wow. uh, Rob, by the way, is a unicyclist. Uh, and he a father is, of two. A father of <laughs> six. Six. Yeah. Uh, he's a professional unicyclist in uh, Circus Vargas uh, over in Burbank, a wonderful family <laughs> circus that he's been in for how many years now, Rob? Uh, about nine or ten. Yeah, nine or ten years. But did you ever get like depressed <laughs> from like things that got canceled? Did you ever oh, like, yes. did you ever really get in your head like, they don't love me. They don't like me. They oh, yes. don't want me. Yes. I will tell you a story, young Michael Rosamel. Uh, how old are you, by the way? Uh, how old am I? Yeah. I am 53. Are you? Yeah, but I look great. You look great. But dude. shaving off all your hair You don't hair drink, helps. do you? Uh, I do. Copiously. <laughs> you look really good. I'm Thank 47. You. I think you look younger than me. No, I don't. Agree. Yeah, I think you I do. I don't agree. But if you had hair, if you had hair, you definitely look younger. Than me. And you have a little beard. For I, sure. For sure. I, well, thank but go you. ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Tell me the story about. Um, no, but uh, uh, when I uh, the first show I did on television 
was back in 1989. It was called The Famous Teddy Z. And I had done feature, I had started in feature film. Well, I started in theater, obviously. And then I, I started getting feature film jobs. And I had this great run of, I, you know, did a movie called No Small Affair and then Pretty in Pink and got very lucky very fast and had a blizzard of film roles. But then I did, I managed to pick a bunch of duds that all came out in the same year. In 1987, I had like four bad movies come out and all of a sudden i was done uh that's how the business is that's how the business is and uh so in 1989 um i got offered a chance to work with a guy named hugh wilson who is a who had done wkrp in cincinnati which is one of my favorite shows and he was going to develop a show for me uh and so he wrote this thing called the famous teddy z that was was about agents it was a very inside show it was multi-camera comedy uh and i when i first read it uh, I I thought, you know what? I'm actually not the right guy for this. I know he developed it for me, but I'm not the right guy for this um, because he wrote me as the, the sort of nice guy in the middle of all the crazies. And I was like, I don't want to be the nice guy in the middle of all the crazies. I want to be one of the crazies. Um, at any rate, uh, everybody talked me into doing it. They said, you know, you, you should do the show. This Everybody's excited about it. You love WKRP. You know this guy's a great writer. And I said, okay, great. We started the show and it was – the critics loved it. Critics went nuts for it. They loved how inside it was and it was very mean to Hollywood and, you know, and and uh, and I was okay with it. But I, I, didn't, I didn't like being the nice guy in the middle of the crazies. It was always going to be a little bit of a, a, a square peg in a round hole for me. Um, well, we were on – they gave us this primo time slot. We were on I think after – Murphy Brown or something. And, you know, the, the, the elderly among you will remember that show. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, but that was a, that was a, you know, incredibly sought after place. Um, it was on CBS on Monday nights and we out of the gate did very well our first couple episodes. And then we started plummeting. Uh, and, uh, the show, there, this awful tension crept into shooting the show uh. and they, 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 fired the writers and hired a bunch of new ones and this and that. And it was just, it, 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 it just, the, the atmosphere became acrid with, you know, just re- recrimination. Year, did no, we didn't. We lasted half a season. Um, and I took that so personally because for some reason I decided that show, that it was my job to carry that show. And it was my job to give the audience somebody to latch onto. The audience was, would see all these crazy characters through me. The and you nice didn't want guy. to do the role. And I didn't want to do it. But I so personalized it by that time that I ju- it just crushed me when that show got canceled. Did you fire everybody around you? No. No, I didn't. Uh, no, I just I, I turned my hatred inward. Uh, as one does in this business. Were you still <laughs> and, married to your first wife then? No, no. This was uh, uh, this was long before my first. Oh yeah, wife. yeah, that was yeah. Long. It was the nineties. Yeah, this was nineteen eighty nine. Uh, oh, fall wow. of the Soviet Union, dude. This oh, is yeah. that far back. But you were just like <laughs> That's uh, hilarious. Uh, it was. This is uh, a while ago. So at any rate, uh, so I took that one really hard because at that point, also, I had bought into the idea of you having. You know, the, the the flip side of you deciding, I have agency over my life. I decide what happens to me. I decide, you know, uh, 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 you know, I, I, I manifest uh, the, the good things that happen in my life. The flip side of that is when things don't turn out that way, no matter how much good energy you put into them, you, you say, oh, wait a minute. I'm responsible for the way this didn't work, <laughs> you know, and. And how do you turn it around? 
Uh, to, to me, well, I, I, how did I turn it around? Um, but without, of course, the easy answer is get another job. Yeah, but is is that like? But you got to turn it. There's got to be something in your mind that, for all of us, there's people out there all the time that do something and they fail or they get fired from a job they loved or whatever. And the question is, how strong are you? How yeah. How much do you have to dig deep? Because the easy way out is like, oh, I'm done with my life. Fuck this. Or you have to say, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going after it. I'm going to keep going because really that's what you have to do. Yeah. No, I just kept going. I just kept going. I I um, I did break up with my girlfriend. I, that kind of helped. Uh, <laughs> but, it did? Uh, it did. Didn't you need someone to love on you, boy? Um, no. No. I was in a... I, I was in a bad place uh, and it was not it was totally not her fault totally my own thing but I needed a reset I needed to start over and do theater I did like a, I did a play downtown in Los Angeles and the thing is that was this was back in the 80s when doing a play downtown nobody is going to see your play if you're doing it downtown yeah. if you're doing it you know it's just not happening nobody is seeing it but it was just to make me make me feel, feel a part of it and and uh uh, you know, and, and I just, um, I spent a few years, I, I went back to New York city and spent a lot of time back in New York city, which always makes me feel better. Uh, um, cause as an artist, when you're in New York, you're getting constant input, you know, just because life is just this, you know, the nastiness of life is just all around you all the time. Right. You know, in LA, you can really take yourself out of that. If you choose, if you're in a performance art you you often need a lot of input to to put a lot out you yeah. know uh and i've always kind of been like that you know so i so i i try to go back to new york and spend time in new york where i grew up a lot do you like being um, recognized do i like being recognized was there a time when you were like you know cuz you know people obviously would come up to me hey lex luther hey nice ball that whatever yeah. the people come up and say oh ducky from uh did it ever get like a oh, fuck um, only the, only, there was a couple of bad periods during, during the Sheen craziness. It was bad because it was paparazzi and, and Sheen fans. They wanted to know information and, from you. You yes. were on set. What did you see? And also there was a contingent of people who were mad, uh, you know, who were mad at, they felt that, uh, Sheen got a raw deal. Like and, Hugh was the bad guy. Hugh Laurie, right? No, uh, not Hugh Laurie. Uh, uh, Chuck Laurie. Chuck Laurie. <laughs> yeah. Hugh Laurie is not Hugh a good Laurie's guy either. A, I, I'm, I'm here to tell you. <laughs> You better wait, stay away from Hugh Laurie. Wait a minute. Uh, is, Chuck, yeah, but, is, is Chuck Laurie a good guy? Uh, Chuck Laurie is a good guy. I've heard a lot of stories. I've heard a lot of things. I've heard a, from a lot of different people, and I've yeah. heard impossible to work with. That's not for actors. Not for actors on the show. Uh, and certainly not for Charlie Sheen. That was the crazy thing. That, that, that Charlie and Chuck didn't get along was absolutely nuts because Chuck did whatever Charlie wanted. <laughs> so yeah, well, so what was what, 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 so yeah, there was no what it was was that that Chuck was uh, Chuck had gone through AA and so had Charlie and Chuck was seeing that Charlie was starting to use again and was saying, dude, you have to get your life together. You cannot keep you know you're going to sink into this and it's going to get worse and you're not going to be able to do this show. Which and your sounds life's like friendly advice. Yes, exactly. And Charlie was like, I don't want to hear that from my boss. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be in a situation where where I'm going to be held accountable, you know, for my off, you know, for my out of work behavior at my work. 
Um, because he was going, supposedly, he knew all his lines. He never missed a beat. And his work ethic was pretty good. Now, you, you look at me like that's not entirely true. Because that's the persona yeah. that he had it together when it was when he needed to get it together. Was that true? That was mostly true. Uh, uh, he, he was remarkable uh, in terms of being able to perform when he had been partying how do you previously do i, drink I don't know drinks i can't remember yes my I, me too me too i don't i don't know how he did it um he did it way back in the early 90s when i he and i did the hot shots together he was you know he was still partying a lot and uh and i would just hear stories and he'd come in and hit his marks and know all his lines and he would get it in two takes and be terrific and i was like how the Wow. Would you smell his breath? Could you smell liquor on his breath at all? No, Could you go, not oh my really. God, he's, he's fucked up. He was a big, uh, uh, you know, breath spray, breath spray guy. Right, right, right. right. Um, but, and, and, he, and lovely to work with, by the way. Super friendly. Would, would come in first thing in the morning, uh, you know, big hellos to everybody in the trailer, uh, you know, and, and uh, lovely guy. Absolutely lovely. I met him a year and a half ago. I was asked, he saw a movie I, I, I directed, and he wanted me to direct... This movie that he was starring huh. in a couple years ago. Uh-huh. And I went in and I sat with him and I went out with him and had a cigarette and I immediately loved him. He's one of the most charming people I've ever met. I don't know him other than I was. And then I I, I said, hey, you know, I, I, I'm not going to do the, the movie or whatever. And then he, he called me and goes, yeah, I quit, too. I'm not doing it either. <laughs> okay. I was like, it just needs too much work. It needs too much uh-huh. to be right. But what I know, look, it was one day with Charlie and that should be a movie. One day with Charlie. <laughs> and he was totally, you know. Yes, he's eccentric, but he's, I, but you were there. He's capable of being uh, incredibly charming, and my my experience with him was great. Ninety for six years, it was fantastic. But when he started using again, he you know he showed up less. You know, we would have days where oh no, Charlie. You know, today we're just you know we're going through with Did that. His, make you mad with his. You know, no, uh, he was uh, 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 his wife had gone gone through difficult uh childbirth with their kids so there were there were issues with their kids that he was trying to attend to so sometimes he was missing it because of that but sometimes it clearly wasn't that you know um and and we still functioned fairly well because he would come in on friday and he knew his lines you know he did just he knew his lines on fridays but i would say the last year uh and also by the way he was he was Good to the crew. He was nice. He was not being a jerk. He was, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, until that last season. That last season, there was there was stuff going down that was, you know, he would. I, I could see him throwing a fit backstage. It was uncharacteristic. His timing was a little bit off. He he would come in and he seemed wired, you know, and you could see it in his off time that he seemed wired. But when when he had to perform, he could still do it. Did you feel an energy like throughout the crew and everybody just going like? Are you guys witnessing what I'm witnessing? Yes. You could definitely feel like yeah. this, there's something, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. It was Everyone's uncomfortable. uncomfortable. Well, it was fascinating because the day that Ashton came to work, it was like we all exhaled. Because even though Charlie was not a, 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 a jerk, there was just this underlying tension because you didn't know if he was going to show up. You didn't know what crazy thing was going to come out of his mouth. You didn't know what he was going to insult. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it, he just it, said whatever came off. His, yeah, you know. exactly. So uh, there was just this tension that was in the air. And um, and and it was crazy because Charlie totally it, it, whenever he was unhappy with the show, whenever he was unhappy with lines that he had or whatever, he could have just said, guys, can we beat this joke? Because this is just, this is a locks. There's nothing, this is not good. But what did he do? Um, he didn't say it. 
he would come to me before that and he would say, oh, this whole run is just terrible. Then we would do it for the run through and it would kill. And then he would shut up and not complain. And instead of just saying, guys, I know you like this, but it just really doesn't work for me, which he could have said. And you know what? They would have just totally rewritten it and it wouldn't have been a problem. Um, but he he couldn't bring himself to do it. So then it all just exploded in this anger at Chuck uh, at the end of it uh, that that was like we were, we, were all, we were all blindsided. He never did that in front of Chuck or to Chuck's face. Never once. It was just on the Internet in the middle of the night. So him and Chuck never really had a. They never fought. Isn't that something? They never fought. Chuck, sounds like one of my girlfriends I dated a while. We just fought on the phone. <laughs> not in front of people. Not in front of people. <laughs> it was, it was not in person. It's very silly. It was just on the phone. Well, they, but, but no, but Chuck was absolutely blindsided by the whole thing. He hurt. He, uh, yeah. And he always felt like I was just trying to get Charlie to get help. Basically, the, the explosion happened when Charlie um, wanted to come back to work and get paid again. Um, and Chuck said, you're not ready to come back. He, you know, he did a week of at-home rehab, and he was not ready. Right. Um, and Just tired. And- yeah. No, his voice was still a mess. He, no, he was still clearly using. Uh, and, uh, and Chuck said, you need a lot more time. And that's when the diatribes began. Did you? Um, did you like? Did you find yourself like you're like you're stuck between a rock and a hard place because you're like, I love this guy of six years who's been part of my life and like a brother. We worked on Hot Shots. Now all this shit's happening. I don't want to be stuck in the middle. I love him, but there's obviously some fucked up. He's he's fucked up right now. Yes. Oh yeah. And he was taking it out on his his family. Remember, he was arrested for battery. That's horrifying. You know, and so you don't know how to, you don't know how to support somebody like that. Uh, you disconnect. You disconnect. You know, and and you know, and you want to support him, but I also, you know, his his, you know, he's got a wife and kids. You know, people who are getting hurt by this on a daily basis. Plus, everybody was losing their job. You know, yeah. that was another thing. You got a whole crew of you know 130 people. So you people. built some resentment. I think everybody has so, a lot of resentment. Yeah. It just built and built. It was like yeah. there, there's one. Of, you get a you get a. Uh, Get out of jail free card a few times. A few times, but and then, then at the end you're like, you know what? Now you're hurting other people, and yeah. that was it. So have you have you heard from him since? Do you talk? Yeah, he no, we we don't talk. Um, he's occasionally on on he, and and he does shit on social media that's like, what the fuck? You know, like uh uh, uh he he put out this gif of that was a, a moment from Two and a Half Men of of Alan sort of groveling. Uh, to Charlie because he's begging to stay in the house and he said and he was like the, the, uh, uh, this is Cryer uh, wanting to do, to do two and a half men again and I was like like I'm begging him to do two uh, you know it's 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 actually you know it, it was like what, so what? You're, you're just it was insulted. a weird like, it was a weird fuck? swipe out of nowhere for no, no reason for no reason because you've no never been someone that talked about badly about the guy no. these are just facts yeah. you're yeah that, that people on that's so, gotta be tough that's gotta be it was very really weird tough. and just you know an odd thing i could tell you that, you know just mm-hmm. by you talking about it you were hurt like it, it was a hurtful time like it was like it, well sure it, it was an awful time because i was also worried that he was gonna die so th- this is something that every Buddy who's related to or in the orbit of an addict goes through. Sure, you know, uh, and so it's. I was not. I was not alone. And and I, you know, I have my own issues with him. I wish him the best. I really do. I've heard that he's getting healthier lately, which I'm yeah. thrilled about. You know, I hope he gets his life together. But you know, it was an awful time to go through. And uh, I, you know, I wish he had stayed sober. 
because he had everything. Because he's brilliant. Because he's, he's a brilliant actor. Brilliant. Comedic uh, uh, chops like nobody else. Yes. I wish he, you know, stopped hurting people. And I, I you know, he, he... And himself. And himself. But, you know, there are a lot of addicts, you know, when things are great. And he was... The highest paid performer, million an episode in right? one of uh, something around there. I don't. Yeah. I never knew the exact figure, um, but uh, in, in, you know, in in an already ridiculously overpaid profession. Oh yeah, uh, uh, and and he had everything. He had he had kids. He had a family. He had you know he had what whatever he wanted, and he had to blow it up. But something was broken yeah. inside. He had to blow it happens. up. And, you know, and it and it's, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm sad for him. I'm, I hope somebody else gives him a chance, but it's probably not going to be me. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Let's get into good news here. Yes. Let's get into good news. And that's that you are Lex Luthor on Supergirl. And this is what so many people are just the Internet's booming. It's like, holy shit. This is it like was, it was controversial. <laughs> it was, well, you know but, what? But everything is controversial on the internet. So it I, is, I and you no... know, I, I didn't have to experience that on Smallville. I didn't have to experience the internet. I didn't yeah, have to it was experience. Pretty, uh... Yeah, I didn't have to experience like, oh, Rosenbaum, he's gonna suck. He can't fill Gene Hatman's shoes. He can't. But like, when you're getting a role that someone else has played, you're always compared. You you're being compared before you even like give me a fucking chance before you start. And I'm reading these going, you motherfuckers, leave the guy alone. He hasn't even done this yet. But a lot of people are like, hey, I can't wait. You could see this. Some support. people were excited, and I so, immediately yeah. remember I was the, one of the first one. I was like, retweet and said, hey man, kick some ass or whatever I said. Like I was like, dude. You know, go have fun, and you're a great actor, and you're going to fucking kill it. I was so appreciative that you said that, by the way, because that carries a lot of weight with the fans and the people who who care about the DC universe and, you know, uh, people like me, people who are, are geeks like me. Although right. I was more of a Marvel kid growing up, but right. I'm all respect for the DC universe as well. But my point being... I want to respect that universe and respect that character in that universe as well. And the great thing about Smallville was it was a great reimagining of uh, the sort of right. Superboy mythology. Exactly. And I thought, oh, it was so clever. But this isn't. You're not given time to no. say, here's my backstory. Yeah. You are just Lex. And let me tell you something. If I was just Lex Luthor when he was already Lex Luthor... I don't think anybody would have cared for me at all. So it's such a, it's hard to do that. And you're going in. It's like, I don't envy the position of going into something that's so, uh, you know, there's so much history behind it. And then you're, you're just going, were, are, did you get anxiety? Did you get uh, nervous? You know, you, uh, interestingly, uh, the, the, it was a weird process because as I said, I first got the, the, the call uh, from the producers and I thought, why me? Because I, as I said, I would not be the first person that I would think of uh, uh, to do that part. Um, but once they sort of filled me in on where they wanted to go with him, I thought, oh, well, yeah, I can do that. And so th so I have not been anxious about it. I, I have been excited. just excited. You know, a little anxious once we actually started shooting because it was like, you know, now is put up or shut up time, Cryer. Yeah, spoiler uh, alert, spoiler alert. Again, if you're listening to this, uh, you, you know, John might say some things that uh, this is uh, this is aired. So, yeah, so, uh, so yes, hopefully you will have seen the show because you're, you have to watch the show on the night it airs because that's how you are. 
So hopefully you're that much of a fan of Supergirl. Yeah, so stop, <laughs> and if you haven't, watch it and come yes. back to the rest of this yes. interview. Yes, if you're worried about spoilers, there will be spoilers. What so. was the first scene? That, like the first scene that you, you set that up for me? And, well, and what what, what's, what's great about what, they're, what the writers wanted to do was the, the very first scene you see me, you know, is in full Luthorian grandeur, pulling off a, a huge anti-Superman, basically a genocidal plan to, that, that, that will kill Superman, but, you know, probably a million human beings at the same time. So this is when uh, Luther is in his glory, you know, doing, doing what he loves best, doing what he was, he was put on Earth to do. But then they switch it up where you realize that's a flashback and he's actually been released from prison on a mercy furlough because he's deathly ill. And he's coming to his sister, who Lena Luthor, who's this, uh, uh, you know, amazing scientist, for her help. Uh, to to find a cure for himself, right? It's you, you get you get a glimpse of Luther, um, but then he's just this decrepit, dying soul, and you've got to wonder where he's coming from. You know, he's 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 absolutely the opposite of what you would expect from Luther. So it's a little convoluted. It's a little uh, yes, it's a, a little a, ambiguous. A little bit like you're like, what are we what are we dealing with here? Yes, you don't know you don't know what he's actually up to. Uh, you know, is he just begging for his life? You know, from the sister that he's trying to dredge the last bit of love between them up from, you know, right. or uh, or is this part of some bigger plan? You know, right. uh, uh, and and that was really fun to play when you when they say action mm-hmm. and it's your first words coming out of Lex Luthor's mouth. Was there party that's still in that moment going? I'm playing Lex Luthor. I'm, I'm, I'm Lex Luthor. <laughs> Absolutely, Abso- Abso- I do. Was. I've done that. Well, well, because uh, the first shot was actually in a helicopter. And it's the first time I see Supergirl in the flesh. I've not uh, I've seen I've seen Superman, but this is the first time I'm meeting Supergirl, and I'm just spoiling for a fight. And <laughs> uh, and it was and and but it's but the line is supposed to be whispered, so it's like the smallest little moment, <laughs> you know. And uh, and I and I realized this is the first time I'm being committed to film as this character. You know that a lot of people really care about. Sure. Uh, and so I was probably overthinking it a little. <laughs> and, what, and what was that line? Uh, uh, it's what just, was the whisper? Uh, it was just Supergirl. It's nice to finally meet you. <laughs> you know. So uh, uh, <laughs> how many takes did you do? Different, uh, not different that versions? many. Not that many. I mean, what's uh, what's nice is uh, they they actually have a lovely brisk. They shoot a lot of it with a lot of handheld and quick and dirty and everybody's Ooh, having fun. It's good. It really is. It's a, it's a great set. Feels raw. Oh it feels God. alive, right? It's a great set. Performers are just so lovely and you know a lot of time when you're a guest performer so hard to it's be a so guest. hard cuz everybody's got their friends. This is and the family. All, yeah, exactly. And now you're going into this family going, "Oh, hi guys, I'm here today." Yes, and I'm here to do awful things and then leave, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But they were they were fantastic. But also, this was also very freighted for me personally because seeing the first Superman movie with Christopher Reeve was just this jaw dropping experience for me as a as a fourteen year old boy. I just loved it. It was it was one of the things I I fell in love with movies for was you know that scene in the Fortress of Solitude where he just leans forward and starts flying for the first time. You know, and it was you know at the time that was a big deal yeah. that to have such a beautiful seamless shot of somebody flying in such a a a, a, a you know a believable way. You know, it was the whole selling point was you will believe a man can fly, and I did. I was yeah, fourteen and I bought it. Yeah. 100%. And I love Gene Hackman in that movie, yeah, even though he was a bit favorite. of a, yeah, he was a departure from Luther from the comics, yeah. you know, uh, he was a little different guy. And, 
Uh, but I still loved him. I thought he did a great job. So he was kind of the definitive on-screen Luther for me, obviously, until Smallville. Uh, <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to say that. Uh, I did love Smallville. Uh, uh, but again, that was, a, I think, a departure from the different. comics. Yeah. Um, uh, but in a great way. And a lot of times you're only, I mean, honestly, you're only as good as the production value, the writing, yeah. what's around you. If it, I, I've said this before. I think, I think I've been pretty good in some stuff that's just not good. And if you're... If it's not good, then you're not good. Uh, yeah, it I mean, yeah. no one cares. It's it's, but like, it's nice only... to be good in something that's not great. I, 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 but, yeah, but nobody wins. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So yeah. unless the writing's good, unless the production's good, if all these things come together in the perfect storm, mm. that's it's it's a thing called luck. It you is. Know? Oh, absolutely. And it's flipping. What it is? It a commodity of preparation and opportunity. Yeah. And you know, uh, I feel like you know, I and I hope this is this is for you. I hope this is like you know, this people are loving it, and I I hope so too. D- but don't you in- admire the those amazing performers who manage to do that a lot? Who manage to somehow the stars align that they end up in a lot of really good things, <laughs> and you're like, wow, you know, they, yeah. obviously they're good. You know, but plenty of good people don't end up in that many good things. Yeah, true. Very, very true. <laughs> and, and I admire the people who either through its, uh, you know, astute choices or great management or who knows, just end up, you go, wow, they just, Matt Dillon. Uh, you know, I always thought he's a good actor. You know, he's he's terrific. But oh, my God, the body of work out from, from the outsiders <laughs> you know, to something about Mary. Exactly. To, exactly. Uh, and it's Rumblefish like, to. Yeah. Uh, right? And uh, so, you know, he has taste. He has uh, there's something there that he just ends up in a lot of great. You ever see the bodyguard, not the one with Whitney Houston, but my, maybe it's my bodyguard. It was with with um, uh, Adam Baldwin. Yeah. Adam Baldwin. Yes. Baldwin Matt yes. Dillon's the bad guy. Yes. Wasn't that a great. That movie? was a great. Ruth movie. Gordon. Yeah. Terrific. Movie. Come over here. You little. Yeah. <laughs> I love <laughs> um, but but I was bringing this around to I when I got my chance to be in a Superman movie. I was in Superman Four, playing Lenny Luthor, Lex Luthor's evil nephew, um, who was basically a a replacement for the Ned Beatty character. Right. You know, it was basically this stupid sidekick. Uh, uh, and I uh, and I was so excited because the script was terrific, and Christopher Reeve had written the story, and they had gotten the whole cast back together. Uh, you know, they'd gotten Margot Kidder back. They had got, you know, a lot of them had fallen out for, for Superman three, you know, the one with uh, Richard Pryor and, uh, and they had gotten Jackie Cooper back and they had gotten, you know, they had really assembled this great group and, and Gene Hackman came back. Uh, everybody had thought three was a misfire, but four is going to fix everything. Uh, and we got into production and clearly the producers who had been known as kind of schlocky producers, uh, they were Golan Globus who had done Delta Force, you know, and all these like schlocky yeah, movies yeah. that had made a bunch of money. Uh, they ran out of money. So they started cutting weeks out of the schedule. Uh, yeah, I remember they, it's, it, was, it was a nightmare. And the movie's terrible. The movie's absolutely terrible. And I don't think I ever saw the fourth one. It's terrible. But uh, you got to work with Christopher Reeve. I got to work with Christopher Margo Reeve, which Kidder, was great. Who I got to and, meet both of them. Just, yes, so yeah. lovely. And uh, and Gene Hackman. I was and his Gene sidekick. Hackman. You know, I got to be Gene Hackman's sidekick. So Can you call Gene? Have him on the show? Uh, you know, I, Gene? You know we, we, we're out of touch. We haven't kept up, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> I don't think he's up, in touch with many people. But my point being, this ended up being a very, very painful experience for me. I, fe- I literally felt like that I had let down the 14 year old kid in me, um, you know, because I really, I wanted it to be 
the thing that resurrected the the Superman franchise, not the thing that really that put the nail in the coffin, you know. Yeah. Um, so so I was devastated about it, and they gave me this chance to be a part of that legacy in a really good way. That I just had this opportunity, I was so jazzed about. I was so excited about that, and and that the writers really paid it off and have come up with a really fun way to do it. it it's it's been an ideal experience. But you know, I think I look at you and uh, I'm like, this is a guy who's faced adversity and had failed projects and had some big success, and then you know, this, it's the cyclical thing, right? You have a big success and yeah. then all of a sudden it's your shit. You know, you're in these projects that just don't happen like you want them to. And you just keep coming back. You keep fighting. You're, you know, you're a good actor. You're a, you're a good guy. You're just like, but you just keep where a lot of people would say, fuck this. I can't, <laughs> I can't do it. These are why these opportunities will come back. They will come back around. If you just stay with it, these opportunities and then the two and a half men out of nowhere out of just nowhere. blew up and it was the biggest yeah. success probably on television one of the biggest success stories ever so to me i would have quit right after that i would have just on an <laughs> island done. in the bahamas and i'm <laughs> done no more i'm on the top let's get out of here but you know you just keep going and that's i i love it i love i love that you got this opportunity this has been an incredible treat because we didn't really know each other other than you showing up a week early but, uh, <laughs> and practically moving into your house but yeah but this, this has been so supergirl airs sunday nights yes what time yes uh uh i believe it's is it eight o'clock on cw this has been great you have such a huge career you've had done so many things and um just, will you come back sometime? Sure, sure. I'm I'm in the neighborhood. You I'm actually live, not like that right far. over the hill. Yes, you don't. Yeah, I, I could make it seem like it's a pain in the ass, but it's not. <laughs> it's Sorry, not. you had to walk up the hill. I saved you a parking. spot. You did, which was very you, cool. You needed some exercise. If I come back, I will. I will, I will swing yeah. by. I move the I... van. Yes, thank you. The, yes, by the way, <laughs> that is a very disturbing van. I've had it 15 <laughs> years. It was just my parents. That you know, I used to have friends that parents would have vans and they would take their kids on road trips, and my parents never had one, so I always said that if oh. I ever make any money forty thousand dollars i'm gonna buy a van i'm gonna take my friends on road trips i'm gonna go to all these places and you know that's why i have and i can't get rid of it. it's worth seven thousand dollars blue book now but i can't get rid of it you tried to sell it this weekend uh, oh yeah, I tried to sell it to Dak Shepard, and he goes, uh-huh. "I go seven or eight thousand dollars." No, that's too much. But going on a road trip <laughs> in a van, it's not actually the ideal vehicle. You know what? For a Screw road trip. you, John. <laughs> Screw you. Uh, by the way, what's your Twitter and your Instagram? So people, my can... Twitter is at uh, Mister John Cryer on Twitter, and I'm I'm not on Instagram. Right? Yeah, I'm well, I am. I have, but I just have a placeholder account because I, I I was because I there was a lot of fake accounts, and so. Well, if you don't know John as well as you should, he's been in pretty much everything. He's worked with pretty much everybody, and that's why I think the next time we could talk, there's so much, so many other things we can. Oh, there's many you can things. Even tap into it. No, no, no. We could, we're just getting started. This is going to be a yeah. whole offshoot. This is a pot just just inside of John Cryer. Yeah, it's going to be its own really offshoot. This is yeah. Re- uh, thanks so much for coming. Thanks for Thank allowing you. me to be inside of you. This has been a <laughs> Thank you. real treat. Again, I should have seen that coming. And you're a really good human being. You know, you're just, you have, don't you think, Rob? It's this disposition that's just so genuine, nothing to hide. Here I am. What do you want to know? This is how I feel. I'm Lex Luthor. Yeah, I, wish- <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I wish Michael was more like you. Yeah. Oh, yes. I'd be, if you I'd could be finally talk and, you know. All right, John. Thank you. Okay, I, thank you. Thanks a lot. The, the pleasure was mine. <laughs>
Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.